everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I'm your host, April Hanna, and we are in Austin, Texas. We are really excited to be here this week. We are screening the Path Evolution at the Movie House and Eatery in Austin, Texas, and we have been staying at a wonderful, wonderful resort. We call it the Bob Price, Bob and Carol Price Resort. Um, no, but we, we are staying at our friends here, and we would like to thank Bob and Carol Price for um, allowing us to stay in their beautiful home. Uh, we posted a beautiful picture on our Instagram account to show you what our view was this morning, and it's always lovely to be here. We were here a couple of years ago for Beyond the Physical, so we thought it would also be a nice opportunity to explain um, INAX and our connection with Bob Price and what INAX is, and thank them also for supporting us and bringing us out here to show the film. Um, a lot of the people who are attending the screening tonight are from the INAX meetup group, and Bob is going to talk a a little bit more about that so and then later on in this interview I don't know how many of you kind of you know travel and you're with friends and family and then there's a extra person that comes along for dinner who's really interesting and uh, brings about great conversation but we met a really cool guy named Charles who we think our audience and our listeners are really going to connect with because he's a person that has explored many different things in the metaphysical world um, from dowsing to remote viewing he was showing us some things that he did at a training with Paul Smith. Um, so we're going to have a chance to also talk to him a little bit and pick his brain about a couple of things, and we'll introduce him in a little bit. But first, I would like to introduce Bob Price. Well, thanks, April, and uh, thanks to you and Mike for coming down and uh, bringing your film and, and uh, screening it here with us. I know everyone's real excited to see it. I am uh, the president of INAX. INAX is an acronym for the Institute for Neuroscience and Consciousness Studies. And in brief, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is devoted to uh, scientific research and public education into human consciousness. So we have kind of an interesting story. We've uh, been around in Austin since 1980 as uh, when we incorporated. And it's kind of interesting how we actually got started in Austin. Um, back in the, uh, I'm sorry, we were incorporated in 1990, not, not 1980. But back in the uh, 80s, I was a grad student down at the University of Texas in Austin in clinical psychology, and I was studying uh, dreaming. We started out looking at the relationship between rapid eye movements and the dream content, because we know that there's a relationship there, but it wasn't completely clear what that relationship is. Why do you have all these rapid eye movements during a dream? Um, so the way that we were studying that is we used an auditory biofeedback technique in which we helped the person learn to either increase or decrease their rapid eye movements while they were dreaming. And we would train them in this technique before they went to sleep. The, uh, the particular way is we would actually have a little speaker above the subject's pillow and we had two conditions. In one condition, once they were dreaming, 
Every time they made a rapid eye movement, the tone would get louder and threaten to awaken them. In the other condition, every certain amount of time, 10 seconds, say, without a rapid eye movement, the tone would get louder and threaten to awaken them. So the idea was that people would be motivated to continue their dreams and not wake up so that they would unconsciously, using this biofeedback, either increase or decrease their rapid eye movements. And then we could look at the effect on the dream content. So this had been demonstrated to work before I got to UT, so I picked up the study there and began to use it with various folks coming into the lab. What we started to notice fairly quickly is that the sleeping subjects, dreaming subjects, would begin to incorporate the tone into their dreams, and they began to become aware that they were dreaming. And this was a period when Stephen LaBerge had just published his uh, landmark work and his first book on lucid dreaming. And so we realized these uh, subjects were beginning to become lucid. They also described things uh, that were like lucidity, but maybe beyond it, such as out-of-body experience or astral projection. Uh, so we became very interested in that, and we redirected the research to looking into that more closely. Uh, so in the middle of all this research, we then went on to uh, study lucid dreaming for the next eight years uh, there in the lab, and then we at, at one point began to look at applying it to uh, help frequent nightmare sufferers. But during that period, I had uh, an undergraduate who, I, I had a, a group of about eight or 10 undergraduate research assistants during most of this research. One of them uh, was a fellow named uh, Jim King. He came to me with this idea to form an organization, a nonprofit dedicated to research and education into consciousness. So I looked at his business plan and I was fairly impressed with it overall. I at one point it showed it to Bob Vandercastle up in Virginia. And it sounded like a great idea, so I went ahead and encouraged him to uh, continue. Uh, so he, within the next two to three years, went ahead and uh, formed INAX, got it incorporated in the nonprofit status. Um, and what we basically do in INAX, uh, we do scientific research, although that does require some pretty good funding to do a fair amount of it. Uh, we have done several projects now, different aspects of consciousness. Um, and then we do at least monthly uh, presentations that we call Consciousness Connections. We've been doing that for well over 10 years, I think about 15 years now, every month, where it's just an open event for the general public to come in, and uh, we have various speakers, and then we have discussions afterwards about topics of interest. And that can range from anything such as lucid dreaming to remote viewing, dowsing, uh, hypnosis, um, just dreams in general, uh, altered states of consciousness, uh, energy healing, uh, all these things kind of come under the rubric of our uh, consciousness topics. 
And so we usually have a pretty good turnout, and we have a, a pretty devoted group, and we have new folks come every month to hear what's going on. Um, so as far as uh, Charles, the, the reason uh, that uh, the way that I met Charles was, uh, was probably about two and a half years ago, we were in the middle of a research project investigating a close relative of remote viewing that is, rather than being concerned as remote viewing is with describing a distant object or place, it's devoted to locating an object somewhere. Uh, the object can be located anywhere. You know what the object is, but you want to try to uh, locate it without being able to use the senses or view it in any way. So uh, this type of skill has in traditionally been called dowsing, uh, and that can be done with various different types of devices, such as a pendulum, often, or the dowsing rods. Uh, but we basically wanted to, we, we found that there was a fair amount of research into remote viewing, but there wasn't much at all in terms of controlled research into dowsing, or what we came to call remote searching. Um, and those, of, those folks that are familiar with remote viewing realize that searching and locating things has been a constant challenge in remote viewing, and it seems to be one of the more difficult parts of it. Uh, Paul Smith has written about that in one of his books. So we designed this study, and it was a double-blind study uh, to control various aspects to try to determine if remote searching was possible. Um, and basic way we did that is we have a, a large eight by eight grid in one room with a device that automatically moves an object that the, the subject or participant in the study brings in, something that has emotional significance to them, such as a ring. We place that in a little box and the computer generates a random number between 1 and 64 before each trial, and then it sends a signal to the grid uh, to go ahead and automatically place it in that random location. So neither the experimenter nor the subject knows, or the participant knows, where the object is located. So the goal of each trial is for the participant to locate the object on a grid, and what they do is we actually go into the, we're in the next room on a computer screen and they see the grid on the screen, and we go through a series of steps to narrow down the location of the object on the grid. The way that they make a decision at each step in that process is using uh, dowsing, basically, using a pendulum. So we have them set up with a pendulum and they get a yes or no response. And we'll ask something along the lines of, is the object located on the left side of the grid? Yes or no? They douse for an answer. That eliminates half of the grid. Then we go to, is it on the upper or lower part of the, or is it on the upper part of the grid, rather? Yes or no? And they give us their response, and that eliminates either the lower or upper part. And so you can see in a stepwise fashion, we zero down to one particular spot on the grid. 
So uh, as we were preparing and we were uh, recruiting participants to be in this subject, uh, we were in touch with, among other people, Paul Smith, who is one of the foremost experts in remote viewing in the, in the U.S., and he recommended some of his students that uh, Paul, uh, for those of you who don't know him, uh, does training and pretty in-depth training into remote viewing, and he has various levels, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. Um, and some of his students have gone through all three levels and are, are pretty proficient at remote viewing. So for one thing, we thought that remote viewers might be good uh, remote searchers or dowsers. Uh, anyway, uh, among uh, a list of folks, Paul gave us uh, the name of Charles Peltasalo, and so I contacted him. He was out in South Carolina, but he said, no problem, I'll, I'll come on in and participate in the study. Uh, so Charles uh, showed up a week or two later after we got him scheduled and uh, participated in that study. So um, and uh, yeah, we've had a lot of interesting uh, visits since then. Uh, and he's uh, knows quite a bit about things like uh, dowsing and lots of other subjects under the sun, uh, including a lot of Indian culture and lore uh, that has educated me quite a bit. Great. Well, we're looking forward to getting him on here um, and speaking to him in a little bit. But I wanted you to also let our listeners know if people were interested in INAX. And um, I mean, are you kind of, I, I want you to let people know where they can find you. But is this non-for-profit something where if people want to be a part of future experiments, that they are getting that information from your website and then contacting you guys to to do such a thing like Charles did? Uh, yes, actually. Um INAX is a membership organization, so we encourage folks who are interested and uh, be interested in participating to get involved, and they can get involved in a number of ways, either in the research end of things or in the educational aspect, uh, helping us to put on some of our presentations. Um, so yeah, the, the, probably the main uh, contact is through our website which is inax.org or inacs.org. And we actually just revamped the website this past week to a, a, a new look, kind of updating it. So there are, it still does need a few tweaks, but most of the information is there. One thing people can find there under the events tab is a list of our presentations for at least the last eight or 10 years. Uh, there's a description of each one in the speaker, and for those that we have videos edited and posted, there's also a link to those videos. And that'll take you to either the videos on YouTube or Vimeo. Um, we also, what we've started doing within the last, I believe it's a year and a half, we realized that we've been in Austin for 25 years, and a lot of people in Austin had still not heard of INAX. So, uh, and we also realized that a lot of people were using a new uh, web service called Meetup. Uh, and there are hundreds, literally hundreds, if not a thousand or two in, in Austin. 
very popular. So we basically started a new meetup, uh, and we call that Austin Consciousness Connections. Uh, so folks can get on meetup.com and uh, go to Austin Consciousness Connections, and all they have to do is click, you know, join or whatever, and then they just get notices each month of the presentations. Um, so that's a good way to keep keep apprised of what's going on each month and uh, keep up to date. And then we have uh, we have a couple of research projects going on, and we usually can uh, use some volunteer help with those. Okay. Great. And uh, one thing that our listeners don't know is that we have some hidden video of you <laughs> when we came out about, I think it was three or four years ago. No, was it back in 2008? Um, and we kind of met you through Tom Campbell and we stayed here that one time and we have excellent um, video of you talking about lucid dreaming and some of your experience um, early on even with psychology and what you did in the world of work there and we just never got a chance to actually put it and never made any of the films because we couldn't quite find a place for it. Now of course Mike and I would love to say oh we're going to do a documentary on lucid dreaming and the dream state but chances are that probably won't happen for another eight years so Mike and I were talking about actually getting the footage up on YouTube um, shortly, maybe in the next month or so, and putting some of the clips up there for our audience and for people to see, because it's, it was a great interview that we had, and I know I learned a lot. We had some great discussion about psychology and dreams and the lucid state, so... Um, well, I had kind of forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah, yes. Uh, so we want to let people know that we're probably going to um, push that out in the next couple of months or so and uh, get a couple of clips up there. So, well, thank you so much again for yeah. having us here. You're and uh, super welcome. We want people to go ahead on over to that website and check out inax.org. And uh, now we're going to have a little chat with Charles. So I have known Charles for less than 24 hours. <laughs> and uh, we came in uh, to Austin and, um, you know, sat down and kind of you know got reacquainted with Bob and Carol and Charles was here and we all went out to dinner we've been having some great conversation over the last 24 hours and um, I know Charles was like well I've never written any books and I'm not a, a super professional here I'm a layman just person that's you know investigating and doing his own work for his own sole purposes and kind of feel like he's one of our audience members and listeners that um, it just has some great stories to share. So we bring our equipment around everywhere we go because we never knew who we're going to run into and what interesting people we might meet. And I thought that this would be a worthy interview. So what, I bet you didn't know you were going to be interviewed for a podcast. I did not. <laughs> Nature has its little surprises. So, Charles, tell our audience, who are you and what brought you into dowsing? Uh, well, I'm as... as uh, as Bob said earlier, I'm one of Paul Smith's uh, students, and he was making a dowsing video, and uh, he would teach it for free if I'd be a guinea pig along with some of his other students and folks in the community here, who were well, INAX was well represented, they're just a great organization. It's uh, just a little bright light, you know, an otherwise fairly dark world. But anyway, Paul was making this, and uh, you'd never have to twist my arm to come to Austin. Any excuse will do. It's just if I can get somebody to pet sit my... I got 11 critters now. I think I had 15 then. Uh, so I extorted my uh, my wife at the time and uh, 
was able to get here. It's just, it's wonderful. It's like breathing pure oxygen to come to Austin because free thinking is, is encouraged. The arts are practiced and celebrated. It's, it's the, the human spirit is, it, it's not the grind where, as, as it is in a lot of the, the world out there. Austin's like a free zone. If you can make it to the border, mm -hmm. then uh, you can have you can have as good a time as you you can have as good a time as you want. Mm -hmm. And meeting these guys, Bob and Carol, they're just instant friends as you guys are. I can let my hair down, birds of a feather, and uh, just be yourself. I really appreciate this opportunity to be yeah. here with these guys at, at their place. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to find Paul Smith and. Because you were doing that's remote viewing training, and then you know you have your dowsing rods here, and we're showing sure. us that earlier. So how did sure. you find him? Uh, well, I started doing my homework. I I had lived around the Baltimore, Washington area in in high school in the in the early '70s, and I started catching a whiff of it on the wind, and I knew something that was up. And you know, it's it's just like you know, Fort Meade was 30 miles uh, off in the countryside. Uh, by then, but I could I could feel that going on, and you'd hear rumors here and there, and so my radar was up, and the antenna was up about that, and then when finally when it rolled around, that this it got a lot of publicity doing to being being declassified, and that these folks were out there teaching what it, it, uh, they had uh, learned. I decided to go to the primary source, uh, who I thought was the most comprehensive instructor of. The unorthodox system is taught by uh, Ingo Swan to that cadre of viewers, uh, uh, you know, repeatable methodology, and uh, so then Paul Smith just, in my mind, was just uh, he just he beats the heck out of you and it works you from from dawn till dusk, but you get exposed to enough so you can start to get a feel for it, and uh, so I've never regretted regretted that. Just a wonderful, wonderful teacher. So if I couldn't track down Ingo Swan to learn, and then I, you know, I, I lived in Mexico for a couple of years. I was fortunate enough. Uh, I'm 62 now. Uh, I was I transferred from uh, the University of the Americas in Cholula, Mexico, in the shadow of the world's largest pyramid, to the University of Montana. I'm just really lucky that I went there because I had my workmates and my friends and my neighbors and. Uh, you know, dance partners were uh, were Blackfeet people and Crow people and Sioux people and Flatheads and you know the whole all the all these different nations. And after a while, they they would would tell me things and show me things because they felt sorry for me because I was just a, another clueless white guy. So I'm just a little less clueless than that, and I've been able to to uh, some these are, have become lifelong friendships, and we we. Uh, we go fast every year uh, out in the Black Hills, uh, and that's made it made a big difference for me. It's ruined me for walk around white society, but I think I was way past the midpoint any time. You know, once you start heading down that road, there really is no turning back. Uh, so, what kind of brought you into, you know, remote viewing? Just like in regards to either your you know your childhood did you have any experiences that um, were pretty significant that led you into more of 
this work and this study? Not not really, but we we were pretty lit up in high school. We were we were we got pretty electric running around on golf courses with railroad flares in the middle of the night, all charged up on stuff. And when you feel like the trees are talking to you, you really it's either you're you're out of your brain or the trees are trying to communicate. So that that was always that that was a lodestone that was always drawing me was to improve that conscious contact with the, the universe around me. That is, uh, I've always been drawn to poetry. I've, I am published here and there. Uh, I have written. I've, I've written some goofy stuff, some serious stuff, and it's up for whoever to decide. What I think the goofy stuff is the serious stuff, and vice versa. But uh, so, so I've always been drawn to that. And what was your original like profession or trade? Like, what did you do for? Oh, work? I've been a hot mess. Tumble and tumbleweed. Uh, I taught tennis for a long time. Uh, I was sort of ruined for that. I didn't think competition was was any great idea. I was more interested in chasing the ball like a Labrador retriever. So right now, if you toss a tennis ball, I'd go racing after it and bump into a wall trying to get it. Mm -hmm. It's just you know this that unmitigated joy. But in the tennis, uh, not being focused on competing and I practice so much, you get so much into present time, pressed so up against the moment that bits of the future definitely leak in. You have closer access to that. So I've always had uh, uh, deja vus. Uh, and uh, uh, I, growing up in South Carolina in a corporate family, uh, these things weren't talked about. That was all Bull Street crazy talk. Although if you, you, you pushed anybody, they were all religious experts and psychic experts, and everybody had ghost stories. But, they simply didn't talk about these things. You know, it's the, sort of the U.S. blues, country club blues. Yeah. So Indians now, uh, being around American Indians, mm -hmm. these guys, you know, it was their their grandfathers, you know, were, were telling them all this stuff. I mean, they were, that was just, they were uh, more groomed. So you're sitting here with uh, dowsing rods on your lap. And I am. You broke them out a little bit earlier, kind of showing us what yes and no answers were and and things of that sort. So um, we've actually haven't had anyone on our podcast yet to speak about dowsing. So if this is new to somebody and no one has ever heard this term, how do you explain what dowsing is? Uh, dowsing is, uh, um, well, for, for, for these rods, uh, it's really good for a lost object. You say point to the lost earring, and that darn rod, you may have to dodge it as it swings by you, and it'll point to the back bedroom. Or you can just stay wherever you are, and you'll say, "Was well, it in the closet?" And you'll get a you can you can program yes, no. Uh, it's very good for lost objects. It's also good for lost animals, uh, whether an animal is that's lost is alive or dead. Uh, um, I had a cat that that uh, flaked off on me at, of all days, Thanksgiving. Didn't come back till January, and I knew she was over in a neighbor's yard in the real thick. I live in the Low Country of South Carolina, where you know you, the sky is this patches of blue amidst the plant growth. It's really jungly. So uh, she had had it, so she she skipped out and went into the neighbor's bushes. And I would take my dowsing rods back there, and she would be just out of my eyesight, and uh, I'd, I'd say point to flower. And that dowsing rod would move at the same pace that a cat would be walking uh, through the bushes. And she was back there because I was also working with that. Uh, lucky to have friends that were uh, horse whisperers or uh, real, real clairvoyance, uh, a clairaudience actually, that, that could talk with them. And 
we finally coaxed her back in. We had to negotiate with some animals. You can negotiate with cats and dogs. You say, if you do this, I'll do that. So the deal was we built an, an outdoor, indoor, outdoor enclosure. She'd come back. So we built an outdoor, indoor enclosure. She came back. Like, say, the line crews that come in, they're putting in the cable for the phone company or the different uh, cable concerns. They'll, they'll have some guy jump off the back of a truck and he'll, he'll come out with his dowsing rods and they'll already have a map, a grid of your, of your property and they know where the, the known lines are so they can avoid splicing them. And what they're out there with their dowsing rods is to find the ones that aren't marked on the map. And they're darn good at it. They're these guys from Tennessee and they're, they pop out there with those dowsing rods and they, they mark it up, start spray painting your property. Now, so, if people, if you've never seen dowsing rods, so it, that's a, they look like two skinny rods, and he's holding them in his hands, and he'll ask a question, and they'll either cross for yes, or yes. they'll spread apart for no. So what is that? Is that energy moving them? Is it your consciousness? Um, what well, are they exactly responding to? It's sort of above my pay grade. I have all my theories. But um, f for me, I I'm sure you're getting in touch with your the subconscious and your your higher self. But uh, it, it just as well be grandma, or you know some some angels or some spirit that that, that would be influenced, depending on what kind of uh, medium or channel or conduit you might be. If you're a, a, a major trans channeler, then then uh, the it's probably all of the above. The more you do it, the more you, the dowsing rods give you a sensitivity to what's a positive signal, what it feels like for, for what's a yes and what it feels like for what's a no. So you're really just giving yourself feedback to your intuition. Okay. And what do you use them the most for? I mean, do you use them on a daily basis? Well, I use them life? on a daily basis. Black socks, brown socks. Should I wear brown socks today? Should I wear black shoes today? Red tie, blue tie. Should I go shopping at Publix or should I go shopping at Food Lion? Uh, should I take the dog to the vet today? Sure. Should I wait till till Monday? Uh, just the anything that you can get a yes no for. The more you do it, the more you get a feel for it. Of course, you have to give yourself license to be wrong a lot, but you get so that you you damn well pay attention to to what what they say, because that's really what your intuition is serving up for you. And we were talking last night about how you said um, there will people, I don't know if they're bringing the dowsing rods or the pendulums, but that they'll bring them to the supermarkets and they will douse or do melons. the pendulum. Melons, melons for food. freshness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really, it, and it, it, it takes a lot of the muss and the fuss out of daily living, you know, you're not spinning your wheels thinking, do I want Gatorade or do I want Hawaiian Punch? You know, it's just these kind of close calls. It's very valuable for close calls. Do I go to the beach this morning or do I go to the beach this afternoon is the tide right is the wind right uh, when's the storm gonna come how close is the storm gonna come so it's good for near future events you know 12 12 hours out into it do you ever have skeptical people that would say why do you have to ask so many questions or who cares what socks you're wearing or what color you wear today uh, you know the horse is out of the barn now it's you know we're in 2016 and and it's like it's everybody uh, has at least some opinion on it and uh, there's so much of it going on the the intuitive uh, functioning that uh, Austin's really nice it's like a national park for that so you've got a lot of that uh, the high function high functioning uh, folks here but no I, I don't have any time for skeptics and and uh, I have nothing but scorn for cynics 
I've, you know, I'm getting to be a cranky old man, and <laughs> you know, I, I'm, you know, my butt's on the line, and, and I don't really care what, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. The only thing that matters is what I think of people. Awesome. <laughs> Gore Vidal said that, so I wish I had. Now, I know you are an animal lover, so I don't even know where we can even begin to also talk about that. But, um, you know, the one example that you gave with your one cat and the dowsing rods, do you have any other stories with the dowsing or yeah. fun stories that people yeah, might like to hear? One came to me while I was sitting over here while you were talking to Bob. My, uh, my next-door neighbor, uh, his, one of his beloved uh, dogs, went missing and I was fresh in from the dowsing course and getting familiar with it. And it immediately, and they said they looked all over their property, which wasn't really that big, but it's, it's backing onto the swamp. And it immediately doused that the dog was there on the property and that the dog was not alive. And, and that was a sad thing, but Dakota had had a good long life. And uh, nonetheless, and I didn't have the heart to tell them that that uh, he was still on the property because they searched it repeatedly, or or that he had passed on. You know, just one of these things because uh, it's so sad. And uh, a couple of days later, they said, "Yeah, Dakota was here after all. He was just scrunched into some bushes close to the house, and we had just missed going right by him repeatedly." So those sort of results. It's very good for living dead, you know, ghost spirits. I mean, we're all spirits, we're just in bodies. Not that our spirit stays in the body all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, we were talking also last night about um, animal communication and kind of animal whispers or psychic people that can speak to Clare animals. Audience. Clare audience. Yeah. Um, so I don't get audio. No? I get a sort of a ticker tape. Mm -hmm. Get the notion that I get some pictures, but there's people that are just so wonderful experts. Cindy Smith out of Asheville, or Sonia Fitzpatrick out of New Braunfels Tech, the, the pet psychic. Mm -hmm. She's outstanding. Both of them. So I know you're really close with with animals, and that they have a special place in your heart. What are some of your thoughts just about animals and consciousness and humans and things of that sort? Well, I'll I'll steal something that. Uh, I heard Russell Means say he addressed our environmental studies class at the University of Montana one time. And he was just repeating a, 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 a Sioux uh, uh, teaching that uh, every single living being follows the original instructions given to it at the beginning all throughout their lives except for one, and that's a human being. And that's why we look to the animals, because they know how to live. They do have free will. They just choose the right thing all the time. They're they're listening. You know, at, at, and so you can talk to them, but they're reading your mind. You know, they they see your pictures, and you're certainly seeing. There, it's not your idea to go buy that pizza. It's the dog wants the pizza. <laughs> later on, you know, they're like Kreskin. They put it in your head. <laughs> they play with you. They toy with you. But you know, they it's unconditional love, and they're just exquisite movers. Mm -hmm. The dog will really teach you how to move, especially if you're in the hills. But the humans, once again, are, are the dumbest things. You know, we just make mistakes all day. And that's why we have to pray and do all this self-help and seek knowledge. You know, that's why, you know, INAX is the sort of thing that's heading in the right direction. You know, try to get some light. 
Yeah. Well, we're, we're so glad to have met you and to, you know, just bring some of your stories onto our podcast. And we hope you enjoy the film tonight. I know you're going to be I look watching forward to it. it. So, yeah. So Thank you very much. Nice making your acquaintance. It's lovely meeting you. Thank you. Same here. All right, everyone. Well, that's a wrap. So we'd like to thank Charles and Bob again for taking some time out of their day just to sit and chat with us. We hope you guys enjoyed that casual conversation. And we are going to be recording the Q&A tonight at the Austin screening. And if it seems like there's some great questions in the audience that haven't been asked before, we'll go ahead and put that up on the podcast as well. And also wanted to remind everyone that if you wanted to come out to a screening, that our next screening is October 28th in Redondo Beach in California and it's at the Hilton Garden Inn and we're going to have a great Q&A there. We have Tom Campbell, Marla Fries, we have Dagda from the Lovett Center um, that's also going to be on the Q&A panel. We have 120 seats available. There are still some tickets left. So we hope to see you guys out there. And the other thing that we've decided to do for these last three screenings for Austin, LA, and Columbia Green Community College, November 17th, we are giving away anyone who comes to the screening the bonus footage, which is 90 minutes of material that never made it into the films. And if you come to the screening, provide us your email address. We will go ahead and get that out to you for free as a way to say thank you for coming out to our screenings. Take care, everyone.